game is over, the New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it! That's a Jet touchdown! Can't wait! You're listening to the official New York Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production. What's up, everybody? Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen back here in studios on the official Jets podcast this week, Jets and Colts on Sunday. And we decided to talk to Stephen Holder of The Athletic. He covers the Colts down there in America's heartland. We talk about all things Colts, offense, defense. What is Andrew Luck this year? How's he been performing? We'll get Steven's takes. But first things first is I have to rewind the clock here for a second because on last week's pod, EA had a bold prediction. Roll the audio. They're bound to hit at some point, but uh, I really think Green's the Jets are going to have to have success moving the football on the ground. And watch 2-9. I think Bilal Paul could have a big game. Yeah, that's right. EA said 2-9. Bilal Powell is going to have a big game against the Denver Broncos. He wasn't wrong, but Isaiah Crowell really stole the show there. Hey, anytime a guy rushes for 100 yards and then they took a couple back <laughs> when the Jets were running out the clock, he did okay. I know it got off to a tough start for not only Bilal but the entire Jets team because it came out a little bit slow out of the gate again. But who could have forecasted Isaiah Crowell going for a franchise record 219? And anytime you control the line of scrimmage, which the big uglies did, and rush for 323 yards, which, oh, by the way, was the second most in franchise history. And Greens, this franchise has been around since 1960. And, you know, I know you're getting a little bit older, but you weren't around in those early days. That's saying something. So, Bilal Powell, yes. He did, he, yeah. he, he, he did, did have a good game. He contributed to the victory. Uh, the Crow flew higher than any other back in franchise <laughs> history. Well, we'll get EA's slight prediction before we uh, close up shop here. but I think that whole game was shocking. But you can say, you can point to some scheduling in the National Football League at times. And you had Denver coming off an emotional game, a divisional contest against Kansas City where they blew a fourth quarter lead. And they hung around here at MetLife for a quarter, but they really didn't ha put up too much resistance no, after I, I, that. You have to give credit to the Jets' offensive line for a number of reasons. The running game is obviously the one that's sitting at the forefront of, of everyone's mind just because of what Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell did. But from a pass protection standpoint, the line held up very, very strong against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, which is debatably the top pair of bookend pass rushers in the NFL. They're up there. It's early for it, Chubb. It's early. Uh, listen, Potential-wise, though, like in a couple yes. of years they might be. No, I mean, Miller's great. There's no doubt about that. And they got their hands on a couple balls. But uh, you have to credit, I would give a game ball to the entire coaching staff because the Jets outcoached the Broncos in a big way. You go for 323 on the ground. The other thing is you took your shots up top. Jeremy Bates did. 
and he got a couple touchdowns from Sam Darnold to Robbie Anderson. And that is going to be on film now. What are defenses going to do when you face the Jets? Are you going to put an extra safety in the box? If you do, you're rolling the dice out there. You might as well go to Vegas because that means no safety <laughs> over the top on Robbie Anderson. And how about the efficiency of Darnold when you're talking about 10 completions, three go for scores? Yeah, uh, Darnold... I think what most fans are most impressed about of Sam Darnold's performance is the fact that he took chunk shots, chunk plays when they presented themselves. But other than that, I thought he was very conservative in a good way, not 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 in a sense of check down, check down because you don't want to take a shot, but very efficient with where he moved the ball. I think the next step for him is just going to be maybe not scoring chunk plays, but I think that. I was thinking about this. I don't think the Jets really worked the middle of the field a whole lot. I'm not saying they needed to, but I think that it was a good step in the right direction because you saw the playbook opening up a little bit. And I'm excited to see what happens Sunday for a number of reasons, but mostly because the last time the Jets won, there was a three-game slide. So how are the Jets going to respond to this victory? I think that that's going to be a very telling Factor. This is the game so far of the season for the Jets. Poor Bradley Roby. I kind of feel bad for him. It's uh, uh, Robbie. He, he lulled him to sleep on that first touchdown, I think, and then the second one he beat him, and it was a perfect pass from Darnold to use his eyes well. Going to the right and then coming back to the left and dropping a dime in there. And defensively, I thought the Jets were very good. I thought they're going to have some problems early against that. Broncos' formidable run game. Philip Lindsay was getting a couple uh, nice gains out there, but they shut it down. And then Todd Bowles, who was calling plays in place of the ill Casey Rogers, uh, he did some nice things too because I think the Jets got a lead, and then you started started seeing them using some twists and stunts up front. Leonard Williams had a couple sacks. The Jets had four sacks and all. And then I started. Uh, my little soliloquy here talking about Roby, you got to give the Jets defensive backs some credit, too. I know the Broncos, they they got some yardage late, but listen, Tremaine Johnson did not play in that game. He was out with a quad injury, so Daryl Roberts filled in, and he played a good game. And then Perry Nickerson got some very valuable run for Buster Screen at the nickel position. You know, I think that you have to give a lot of credit to a lot of different places on the Jets team, because I think that all three phases played very well, and I think that this upcoming week is a big test for the Jets. I think it's their biggest game of the season just because we saw what happened after Detroit and what's going to happen after beating the Broncos. I don't know, but I'm very you can't interested say, to see. But you can't say it's their biggest game of the season. When you said that last week? Yeah, because every because, week's the biggest game of the season. Yeah. Trick question. No, no, there was no question, but you can't say that because really – I think if you look back, and we will after a 16-game regular season, this was a pivotal ball game. You had to win against Denver. That was a team who was 2-2, two and two, coming off a short week, and conversely, the Jets were on a three-game slide, and they were starting a three-game homestand. They needed something positive to happen. This is what I think about this weekend is that I think it's a swing game in the sense of I don't even know if that makes sense. If you know what I'm trying to say when I say no, swing No, I'm going to ask you to explain it. So I, what I mean by that is it's one of those games where 
if the Jets are able to stack two wins together back-to-back, I think it just kind of changes the mood and the feeling internally, ex- externally more so in the sense that you start to put some games together. Now you're getting real juiced for when the Minnesota Vikings come around and then going to Chicago and as the season goes on and on. But I think it's just one of those games where it may only be one game, but I think there's a little more at stake than just a win or a loss. And that you could you you could say the same. I don't say that. I think you can't say that because again, you're uh, you're you're falling for the trap. You are falling for the trap. Are you talking about me personally or the team? No, uh, you are. Oh, I, I, am. I don't think the team will be. Okay, but. No, because, again, then what are you going to say next week? That the Vikings game is bigger? No, 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 no I, I'm uh, not. I to, think that th- this is really taking a, a larger step than just one it, win. Air, let's be clear about something. And, and we watched the Colts uh, Thursday night, and the thing I told you, I think, was last Friday, is that Indianapolis is going to play for 60 minutes. I don't know how many games they're going to win, but Andrew Luck has been one of the top performers in the National Football League this season. They are rebuilding or building or however you want to say it. But every game, make no mistake, the Colts could win this game. Make no mistake about it. This is professional football. And this Colts team could have beat Cincinnati, lost by one point. They had a lead in that game. They were at the four-yard line against Philly, the defending Super Bowl champion in their building. Oh, by the way, could have won that game. Frank Reich decided to go for it in overtime, which I like his aggression against Houston at home. Any of those games could have went the other way. So this Colts team keeps on coming at you. Matchups. Uh, we just watched, what, Conor McGregor and this Khabib guy in Las Vegas over the weekend. <laughs> Styles make fights. Styles make fights. And the Jets have to contend with a different style this weekend. I think the run game could give the Colts a lot of issues. But luck, no matter who he's throwing a ball to, and the two guys I think the Jets have to make sure that they take care of, especially if T.Y. Helton is not in the lineup, is Eric Ebron, the former first-round pick in Detroit. He showed up on Thursday night at a couple touchdowns, over 100 yards receiving. And Naheem Hines from NC State, of course. He's been an impressive rookie back. All right, without further ado, let's go to Stephen Holder of The Athletic. All right, talking to Stephen Holder now of The Athletic. Stephen is, this Colts team, to me at least, and I think to EA as well, is just very interesting because you look at the record, it's one and four, but you look at the team, and it seems like it's a team that plays hard for 60 minutes with a new coach and Andrew Luck back. So how would you describe this team through five games? Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Look, you are what your record says, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. So I don't think the Colts are a good team right now, but I think they're on their way to becoming that. And I don't think they're very far away. They're, they're really just uh, right now a team that can't finish games. And it's because they just don't have enough to get it done right now. But but they have enough to, to be competitive every Sunday. And, you know, even with all their injuries right now, which are which are really piling up, uh, they're still finding a way to be competitive. So I, I think the key has been, you know, we knew this would be a rebuilding year, but it was hard to sort of project how competitive they would be, uh, especially given Andrew Luck's situation coming off that year-long absence at quarterback but he's been fabulous 
really through five weeks, and and I think that has kind of changed the conversation, and and now it's evident they're really not that far away from being a team that's a factor. But again, they got to prove they can get it done. They're so young on both sides of the ball, and that's really I think a big part of of why they're one and four right now and why they haven't been able to, to make those plays to close games out. So many things to get to you uh, here. I got so many questions about the Colts and the Jets and the connections, but you mentioned Luck. What were your expectations for him going into the season? What were the organization's expectations for him heading into the season? And has he surpassed maybe what you had thought we would see out of Andrew Luck here early? And how delighted is the organization uh, uh, as far as what they're seeing here early on from him in 2018? Okay, so it's interesting. I remember uh, through the spring and summer just getting consistent, like, confidence, like, I mean, bold confidence from, from upper management about their outlook for Andrew Luck. And I didn't understand it. I <laughs> thought they were crazy. I was like, you guys are guys are going to set yourself up for trouble again here, okay? Uh, it wasn't that I didn't believe he was coming back. I never thought his career was over or any of those things. Uh, I had enough reporting and enough evidence to, to know that that there had been like legitimate progress with his arm, you know, with his shoulder. And then I knew that, that his shoulder was in a much, much better place. Much, much stronger. You can look at him physically throughout the offseason and say, okay, that guy looks like he's ready to play football. Last year, that was not the case. He looked clearly like he had been out for months but all that being said I mean I hadn't seen him do it so at the end of the day I mean it's about playing football not about you know how much you can bench press <laughs> so I needed to actually see him throw a football and then even after that after we saw him throw a football oh at the end of OTAs and the end of minicamp which would have been uh, early to mid-June I mean he wasn't throwing forcefully he was, he was conducting or participating I should say in individual drills only and really you know we've all spent a lot of time at football practice we know that individual drills are not really uh it's not a real replication of what you're going to do on sunday so that was the extent of what i'd seen so i was willing to believe that he was going to play i didn't necessarily not believe it i just didn't think that he would be where he needed to be i thought this would be a really gradual process for Andrew Luck. then we got to training camp and literally the first day of training camp was his first time taking full team snaps since 2016. Wow. And he threw the ball all over the place. And I was, like, stunned. I mean, he wasn't perfect, and it wasn't, you know, necessarily in sync, but he was doing it. And it was like, all right, well, maybe we were wrong. And I think every day you started to see it more and more, even though I would say by the end of training camp in the preseason, I still thought it would be, a slow start for Andrew Luck. Uh, I just, you know, he didn't play a lot of snaps. He played about 35, well, I should say that. He, the first couple weeks of the preseason, he didn't play a lot. He did play a lot in the third week, and, and we got a good look at him. But but he hadn't really uh, thrown the ball down the field very much. Uh, it was very much a short passing game. They had a left tackle injury, which they still have. So they were protecting him a little bit. And so... I don't think we saw the full breadth of the offense. We hadn't seen the full breadth of what Andrew Luck can do. So I figured, okay, they're going to baby him for a while here. He's not really back. And I thought that process would take some time. And then he came out in season opener and threw the ball 
50 times. <laughs> and so <laughs> everything got blown out of the water. And I realized I was completely wrong. So he's defied expectations, for me at least. And look, he's not perfect yet. I think you'll see some throws where he's out of sync with, with his receivers, in part because they're new guys. But I, I just think that comes from ha- having a long layoff. But I think in terms of his ability to place the ball, I mean, if you watch Andrew uh, Thursday night against the Patriots, yep. I mean, he threw some of the best balls he's thrown this year. I was thoroughly impressed. And they had no business even being in that football game, missing probably, you know, I would say six or seven of their top 10 or 12 players. So, I mean, it was it was very impressive. No pun intended. Are they putting too much on Andrew Luck's shoulders right now? <laughs> well, it's it's happening because of the situation. Uh, I think when you're, when you're missing your starting left tackle, your starting running back, uh, your Pro Bowl tight end, <laughs> you're missing – uh, your Pro Bowl receiver right now, T.Y. Hilton, yeah. is, is very, very much in question for this Sunday. I don't feel good about him playing at all. So, I mean, they have a lot going on in the injury department. It's not an excuse because no one cares. And Frank Reich will tell you that, and he goes out of his way to make it clear no one cares about our injuries, and he's right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we can't uh, take them into account. So, yeah, right now, Andrew Luck is having a good team. I mean, look, he's throwing the ball 120 times the last two games. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. And part of that is certainly the game situations, falling behind a couple of times, going to overtime against Houston last week. So it's a unique set of circumstances, granted. It's not something that's going to happen every week. But they aren't having a lot of success running the football. So that's putting more on the passing game. Uh, they have been behind at times. So that puts pressure on the quarterback. There's just been a lot of situations that where, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think unintentionally uh, it is falling on Andrew Lux. What I would say, though, is he is getting more help than he's gotten in the past from his defense. Now, the Patriots put up some points last week, and that was a little bit out of character for the defense. Uh, but I do think from week to week the defense is giving them a chance. Even uh, the previous game against Houston – I believe they scored 37, 38 points in that game, but 14 of those points came off turnovers, uh, one in the end zone and one inside the 10-yard line. So uh, the defense has given them a chance, and that's where Andrew Luck's getting a little bit of a lift from right now. Uh, So, in fact, in some cases, on some Sundays, it's a situation where the offense isn't carrying its own weight. So so we'll see what happens on this Sunday, but, but I do think it would certainly behoove them to get a running game going and, and take some of that pressure off of him. Andrew Luck can't continue to throw the ball at this rate. Uh, whether his soldier is 100% or not, it's just not really conducive to winning football. That was just a crazy stat you just mentioned. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I want to. You mentioned the defense. I don't think that a lot of fans know a whole lot about the Colts' defense. And so I want to know is – What's the identity of, of the defense, and what, what do the players try to do? How do you try to take away an offense from the Colts' perspective? And for fans that don't know, is Darius Leonard, I mean, my God, this guy's really taking the NFL by storm. Is How good is Darius Leonard? Well, I'll start with your first question. Look, the defense is very reminiscent to, to what you saw with the Colts under Tony Dungy, actually, ironically. So. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to that, very similar to what Lovey Smith ran with the Chicago Bears. And those are very simplistic schemes. There's not a lot of pressures. 
there's not a lot of coverages, they're pretty basic, and they're not going to bring a lot of a lot of blitzes. There's not a lot of complex packages. So I think what you're going to see is they're about running and hitting, basically it. I mean, there's some complexities in it, and they do have some things that they'll 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 sort of scheme up and and throw at you from week to week, but it's not going to be a ton. You know what you're going to get. I mean, as as the coaches have told me on numerous occasions, you know, we do what we do. So it's not a mystery to anyone. Uh, the, the Jets coaches are not going to look at this team defensively on film and be confused. Like, it's not that confusing, frankly. So it's really about, look, we we believe this is their philosophy. We believe we can get to the football, get three or four guys to the football, and prevent the big plays. And that's really the essence of it. It's been relatively effective. I, I do think one of the things that the Colts have really struggled with the last few seasons is just giving up huge plays. That's something that I think has been corralled a little bit this year. So I think that is an indication of this scheme having its intended effect. Now, what can happen is a lot of times uh, teams can kind of, uh, you can kind of end up, dying by paper cut, if you will, and and maybe not getting off the field. So they're a little bit of an undersized defense, so that sometimes works against them. Uh, they, you know, they, they certainly play a lot of zone, so teams that, that are sort of built to beat zones, they tend to have some success. So uh, there are, they can be beat, right? And, and they're not a finished product by any stretch, but I do like the concept and, and they're playing it well. It's really about not anybody it's just about doing what you do at a very very high level that's the defense so uh, you mentioned uh, Darius Leonard this is not a defense with a lot of household names I mean very 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 few yeah. uh, Malik Hooker is maybe a guy people know he's a first round pick coming off an ACL a little bit of a slow start but he I think has immense potential but other than him there's not a ton of guys on this team that you you really would consider household names. But Darius Leonard, I think, is going to be one of those names here pretty soon. Uh, this guy is having – he did miss Thursday night's game against New England, but this guy is having an incredible season so far. Uh, he's, he's already gotten buzz, I think, from people who have watched him. You talked to some analysts, and they're talking about rookie of the year buzz for this guy. I don't think it's uh, too – I don't think it's too bold at all to, to make those kinds of proclamations. Um, what he is is basically a sideline-to-sideline player. Um, in my Earlier in my career, career, I covered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they had Derek Brooks playing weak side linebacker, right? He's not Derek Brooks. I'm not suggesting that. But he plays a style very similar to Derek Brooks. He's great in coverage. He just finds the football. And so that's sort of my uh, sort of blueprint for, for that position the weak side linebacker in this particular scheme my blueprint is Derek Brooks and he fits that blueprint not in terms of talent he's not there yet I mean that's that's crazy the guy's in the hall of fame but what I am saying is he plays that style of football and it's the perfect fit for this scheme so between the scheme fit and just his football IQ which is really really off the charts he's running the defensive huddle uh he's he's wearing the green dot on the helmet he's he's I think a guy who has already really earned his coach's trust uh, as a rookie, 23 years old, all of those things combined, I think, make him just a, a really, really great prospect, and the, the culture thrilled with him.
So when you say those Tony Dungy-led defenses and Lovey Smith, I'm thinking 4-3, cover 2, run to the football, play yep. with speed and ferocity. Uh, with that being said, the Jets just rushed for 323 yards. Do you think their, po their running game poses a threat to the Colts' defense that is predicated on speed? Yeah, and I think those are the matchups that these kinds of schemes have trouble with, right? Yeah. And I remember uh, the year the Colts went to the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl under, oh, well, I guess I was going to say first under Tony Dungy, Tony Dungy's lone Super Bowl. And in 2006, there was the run-up to that. Uh, they had certainly uh, a game where the Jacksonville Jaguars rushed for 300 yards. And, and, and there were a lot of doubts going into that postseason, like, how is this team going, how is this defense going to hold up, you know? And uh, they were able to, to sort of pull it together and, and make that run into the, the postseason and win the Super Bowl ultimately. But I do think that is an example of, of where this scheme can be problematic. So we'll see. I mean, they haven't played a ton of really run-heavy teams, uh, but the Patriots did have some success the other night. Joe Mixon in week one had some success for Cincinnati. So I think that's their challenge. I think they're, they're a team that, that's going to make it difficult for you to throw the ball down the field again. Right? What's that's, a, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the calling card. But, but I think the one area where uh, you can exploit this scheme is with a power running game. So that's going to be the test. Stephen, what's been the fallout there in America's heartland after the St. Patrick's Day trade as the Jets went up? To number three overall, the Colts moved back, picking up Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, an offensive lineman who could be a really good one, a fixture up in front of Andrew Luck for maybe the next 10 to 15 years. And then they picked up uh, a three-second round picks in the process, of course. Yeah, I I tell you what, I mean, I thought fans really had a really mature reaction to that to that trade and you know you know with fans you never know how these things are going to go and i was pleasantly surprised i thought people really had an open mind about it and they understood that this was a long-term vision and, and in order to execute your long-term vision well you need draft picks and that's what this was about this was about draft picks and yet they were still able to get the player they loved in quentin nelson and they they were willing to take that risk that he'd be there uh, I think it was, a, you know, a pretty reasonable risk to take given the needs of the players in front of them, so or the teams in front of them. So they forecasted it perfectly, the Colts, and they were able to pick up some extra picks. They feel good about their their haul of second rounders. I mean, they've got they picked they had four second rounders this year, and they feel pretty good about all those guys. So they were able to really hit some important spots of their football team. Darius Leonard's one of those second round picks, for example. So. They feel great about it, and I think they should. Uh, I, I think they did a pretty good job. These guys are obviously the jury's still out on all those young players, but if you're trying to rebuild a roster, uh, the, the quickest way to do it is to, to get an accumulation of draft picks, and, and that has been the goal for GM Chris Ballard, his first two drafts, and the, the trade with the Jets was a huge part of that. Yeah, I think both teams are going to look back at this trade in five, seven years, and, and, and they're both going to be happy. I think it's a win-win, and, and that's really the best-case scenario. I felt that way uh, when it happened, and, of course, at that point, you're forecasting. But now that we have 
something to look back on. I think it's really, it really truly is shaping up that way. And, and I think both teams got the best of both worlds out of this. I think they're both very happy and should be. Speaking of the, uh, the best world, do you think the Colts were fortunate the way that all played out? Josh McDaniels ended up staying in New England, of course, but the Colts came right back and, and got a guy who I think has been very impressive so far in uh, Frank Reich because the Colts, like you mentioned before, they've been in every game. Yes, they lost to New England by 14 points, but you look at these other losses on the schedule, whether, whether that be Cincinnati on opening day, I think that was a one-point game. Philadelphia was a couple-point game. Houston, overtime game. Reich seems like he's got them moving in the right direction. Yeah, and uh, here's another fun fact. Uh, other than the New England game, I'm talking about the, the, the losses outside of New England. So Cincinnati, Houston, and Philadelphia, the Colts were driving for the win on their last possession. I think in each case, under a minute to go, they were driving for the win and just for various reasons didn't get it done. In Philadelphia, they got to the four-yard line wow. and that stopped on downs. I mean, it was, it was just a tragic way to lose. But <laughs> in any event, I, I do think that, yes, Frank Reich is a really great fit for this team. As I said, they're really young, so I think leadership's huge for this team. And look, I don't know Josh McDaniels, and I don't, you know, I don't have a personal relationship with the guy, but I, I think the questions about him are, are areas where they were, those were very important questions to be answered for this team, in other words. What I mean by that is, you know, leadership, uh, bringing, you know, sort of bringing character to that locker room. Can he do that? You know, I, I don't know. Can he get a, can get players to follow him at tough times? Things like that. Those are questions that I think were, were difficult to answer about Josh McDaniels. What I liked about the possible hire was offensively, he was going to get Andrew Luck going. I mean, I had no doubts about that. Right. So that's great. But here, the Colts are getting that from Frank Reich. They're getting a guy with really interesting offensive scheme, okay, really innovative, uh, very uh, very analytics-driven, much like Doug Peterson in Philly. Uh, I think really cutting-edge stuff offensively. They're getting that, but they're also getting what seems to be a really, I, I think, a great leader of men in Frank Reich who uh, I think from day one really got his guys to buy in and and that was hard to do. I mean, after what happened, I mean, you're the second choice. You're the fallback plan, and and you've got to get these guys to to come on board and to buy into what you're selling. And he was able to do that right away. So he just I think has had a compelling message for his players that they have been just willing to follow him. As I said from day one, it has never been an issue, and and that's a credit to Frank Wright. Final question on my end here, Stephen, is that. Marcus Hunt is someone that I think fans are somewhat familiar with, and I think NFL fans are somewhat familiar with. But what's gone on from your perspective in the resurgence of Marcus Hunt as one of the very good D linemen of his class? It's astounding. I don't, I don't know how this happened. Uh, Marcus Hunt was on this team last year, and I barely called his name. I don't even know if I wrote a story about Marcus Hunt. He just wasn't really a factor. And, you know, he always had sort of a, a special teams presence, so that was always helpful to keep him on a roster. He, he could give you some, some good snaps, uh, whether a defensive end or at the interior spot, in, you know, maybe as a depth player, but certainly wasn't a front-line player. 
this year, it, there's a combination of things. Um, it's, uh, it's the change in scheme. He really has adapted well to it. I, don't, I think he's played the 4-3 before, but not in this style of 4-3. So this is more of an, a, more of an attacking scheme. Get up the field. Get off the ball. Uh, it's not a uh, – they're, they're playing in the gaps. They're shooting gaps. And, and basically it's just sort of a, a disruption uh, is what they're asking from their defensive linemen. So he, he adapts well to that. And then he's just getting more opportunity – I looked back at his snap counts over the years, and uh, this is, I mean, by far the most Marcus Hunt has ever played. His last year in Cincinnati, if I remember correctly, uh, he played about 15% of the defensive snaps, and it's really hard to do much in that situation. Now, you could argue he didn't earn more snaps, and that's probably what the Bengals would tell you, uh, and that's that's fine. That's not, that's not an illegitimate argument. Uh, I think that's very fair. But the fact of the matter is he's getting opportunities and he's making the most of them. And I think that builds confidence. He just looks really comfortable right now. And the other thing is he's shown some versatility. He started off the year defensive end. Uh, some injuries popped up, and they asked him to play three-technique defensive tackle. Well, that ended up being very productive for Marcus Hunt. And so he's actually now spending more time there. The Colts really like that spot for him. So uh, they're, they're fine with it. They're ready for him to, to keep this up. That is Stephen Holder of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at HolderSteven with a P-H, not an F. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the Official Jets Podcast, and we'll see you Sunday. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, so Greens, a big picture here for the Jets. They have an opportunity to get to 3-3. Three and three in the biggest game ever, as you're calling it. Okay? Oh, well, you, you could almost call it the Super Bowl. No pun intended. Uh, we will get there in a second. But how about this? Miami's playing the Bears. Yeah. Bears are improved. In, in Chicago? I don't know where that game is. Well, is and, it, and is New it in a... I don't know. I don't have it. Oh, and, oh, oh, oh. and New England is playing Kansas City. There uh, that, a, I'm excited to watch that game. That's Sunday Night Football. There is a chance the Jets... Could be sitting there Sunday night at three and three. The Dolphins could be three and three. The Patriots could be three and three. The Patriots will score. Are they going to be able to score enough against that freak Patty Mahomes and company? Okay, this the threes thing is really blowing my mind here with the three and three, the three and three, the Jets straight up from six to three, and oh by the way. The Jets are honoring the team of Super Bowl three. That's right. There is some weird stuff going on right now. That's not weird because that's 50. It's been 50 but years. But it's Super Bowl three. It's been 50 years. And if you haven't checked out that podcast with uh, Bob Letterer, that's posted as well. So check that out. Jets, Colts. Oh, everybody's asking me about uniforms all the time. White on white, gray face mask like they did January 12th, 1969. But the, but the, the, the decal's not changing, right? No. All right, just just making sure because some fan is going to be like, oh, "Are they the old helmets?" No, they're the, the, the same fi- helmets. The final score that I'm very excited was sixteen to seven. That, uh, oh my God, could you imagine if that was the final score of this game? That yeah. would that would bring the house down. Festi- uh, a lot of festivities this weekend. The Super Bowl three team uh, will be here um, throughout the weekend. I think they arrive on Friday and Saturday. They'll be out here after a walkthrough, and then Saturday night, Chris Berman is hosting a dinner at MetLife Stadium. The Q&A is going to be broadcast live, stream live on some Jets platforms. Sunday, we got a breakfast. Um, and then you got to check out pregame Central at 11 a.m. There's a lot going on. And for the record, the Dolphins and Patriots are home. The Bills are on the road against the Texans. 
Bills and Texans, it'll probably be a defensive struggle. Josh Allen is finding his way right now. Um, I think Sam Darnold, the Jets rookie, is a lot further advanced in terms of pocket presence, getting rid of the football on time and things like that. The Bills are taking baby steps right now, and they're winning with their defense. They've won two of their last three games. You can't forget about them in the equation so early in the season. But I'm just saying there is a chance you could be looking at all these teams sitting there with three and three. That probably won't happen, but the Jets have a hell of an opportunity to get to, get to three and three. And then wouldn't that be something if the players can leave MetLife Stadium, uh, the fans can celebrate Super Bowl three, and then you go home and watch Kansas City put one on New England. I think that's what we're all rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Dumb and Dumber, great movie. But that's all we have here on the official Jets podcast this week. Again, Jets and Colts Sunday, 1 o'clock, MetLife Stadium. We've said it multiple times on multiple podcasts. Get your popcorn early. Don't go anywhere during halftime because the Super Bowl three team will be honored, and you don't want to miss it. But that's all we have here, and we'll see you Sunday.